Welcome to the Idolcast. Hit it. Super M's Jopping, performed live on their 2019 North American tour with audio from a fan cam that I will link to in the show notes. I liked this fan cam in particular because you really feel the excitement level in the crowd ramp up for Mark's verse, which was also what happened in the concert date that I attended. The now immortal words. Ah, uh, you think you're a big boy, throwing three stacks. I'ma show you how to ball, you a mismatch. Opinionated, but I'm always spitting straight facts. Throwback, I might throw this on an eight track. Watching those concert fan cams now is like receiving a postcard from a much happier and much simpler era. I have to admit that I was hesitant to take on Super M for a podcast topic, even though they are, were, a great group. Despite the overwhelmingly positive response to Super M from K-pop fans around the world, the conversation around the group in English has been obscenely toxic. I am still getting nasty comments from some K-pop fans because of a post I wrote about Super M three years ago, and it's exactly this response that fascinates me. Why on earth did these good time boys, these cartoon Avengers of K-pop, spark such strum und drang? What was the goal of Super M? Did they flop? Or well, jop. So put on your jumping and popping shoes, and let's jop it out together. Super M was a joint project between Capitol Records in the United States and Korea's SM Entertainment that dates from about 2018, according to interviews with people like Chris Lee, A&R executive for SM Entertainment. 
The seven-member boy group was a time-limited supergroup that seems to have been created to do two things. One, prove SM Entertainment's ability in the current American K-pop market. And two, to get fans of SM Entertainment's older boy groups interested in and also to build hype for SM Entertainment's newest boy group project, the NCT Collective, who just so happened to be signed to Capitol Records. But to really understand where Super M comes from, we first need to look at Mr. Lee Suman, Mr. SM himself, the man behind SM Entertainment, and his forward-thinking approach to both branding and cultural technology. I don't think it's controversial to say that all pop music is manufactured. At least, I hope it's not controversial. I have misjudged this line in the past. So pop music around the world is two parts craft and one part marketing, with a sprinkle of artistic inspiration. So as pop fans, you know, we wouldn't have it any other way. The enduring popularity of 1960s cartoon bands voiced by legendary session singer Ron Dante is proof enough of that. What's remarkable about Korea's K-pop industry is not that they manufacture pop music, nor that it relies so heavily on idols. These things are true for other countries as well. What I find so fascinating about K-pop is the way that the industry has created this walled garden, this mythos out of nothing, and it's successfully exported it globally. This magical fairy tale world of a big three and perfect all kills and music show voting that for the most part exists parallel to the popular music consumed domestically in Korea, but which has become deeply infused with meaning for K-pop fans. And SM Entertainment has played a big role in shaping this K-pop kayfabe. Long story, very short, my specialty. During the run-up to the 1988 Seoul Olympics, when Korea began to shake off the dreary image of violent dictatorship and military rule, one of the signposts of this new Korea was a cheerful, modern, trendy, teen-oriented, middle-class pop music that sprung up in Seoul. And you could hear the national optimism in the voices of singers like Kim Won-sung, Lee Sang Un. mainly with Korean songwriters and producers from the trot and rock genres, who essentially had to come up with a Korean pop sound overnight. And the results were mixed, but, you know, generally listenable. The new format was sort of a trot melody set to a fast disco beat. And this new gaio echoed the kaiokyoku-soaked pop music coming from Japanese idols of the same era. And in large part, I suspect this is due to the geographic and cultural closeness of the two countries. 
These teen Gaio singers wore spangly outfits and had cool looks and backup dancers, just like those Japanese idols did. I mean, a song like boy group Sobangcha's 1987 hit, The Story of Last Night, is a good example of the burgeoning teen pop genre, written by the late, great Lee Ho Jun, best known for his work with the legendary trot singer Cho Young Pil. The song is essentially indistinguishable from something a Johnny's and Associates group of that era like Hikaru Genji might have sung. <laughs> What I want to emphasize is that this new genre had no real roots. It was just kind of dropped on top of the existing music culture, but it was cool and new and kind of exotic. And my impression is that teens liked it just fine. But if you've listened to my Idol History series, you probably know this next part. It was into this rootless, spangly, trot pop skyo that So Teji and Boys exploded with their yearning, hip hop influenced. Nan Ario in 1992. The cultural impact of the song not only set the template for a more authentic domestic teen pop sound, songs by teens for teens, but also stoked the beginnings of what would become Korean Idol fan culture both domestically and in the diaspora. And this is the groundwork for what we would eventually call K-pop. So as you might remember, Lee Soo-man, upon his return from America in 1985, had some minor successes and some big setbacks with artists like the hip-hop dancing king, Hyun Jin Young. But in a story we see play out again and again in K-pop, Lee Soo-man pivoted from producing artists to producing idols. Although to give credit where it's due, SM did and still does put a lot of emphasis on the crafts of singing and dancing, which is not true of all companies. And so just about 10 years after his return in 1996, HOT, the very first modern Korean idol group, debuted and changed music history forever. While SM had already been sending out feelers to foreign markets with the mega popular HOT, the ball really got rolling with a bump in official investment into the entertainment industry after the 1997 Asian financial crisis. This is the origin of the first Hallyu wave and where we start to see this teen Gaio turn into K-pop. The good part of building a pop music industry out of nothing in the 1980s was that there were a lot of existing best practices to look towards. With HOT, Lee Soo-man didn't invent the concept of the idol group, 
but rather he saw what worked in other places and synthesized those pieces into something that could work in the Korean market. Group structure and idol marketing from Japan's Johnnies and Associates, musical influence from R&B groups and hip-hop in America, and new ways of organizing and mobilizing fans from Sotaeji and boys right there in Seoul. These were, and are, the building blocks of the modern K-pop group. But here's where SM Entertainment really starts to separate themselves from their domestic rivals. What SM Entertainment does is to start building its brand as SM, creating an umbrella under which all of its talents fall, while the other big company at the time, DSP, home to Jexkis, is being run more like a traditional talent agency. What SM does in 1999, almost the very second that they have a solid roster, is they release the first SM Town CD, featuring HOT, girl group SES, R&B duo Fly to the Sky, and a brand new boy group called Xinhua. Ho ho ho! Last Christmas before millennium, SM2 got together, soak fans for more cash, although it was also that, but it was a cross-marketing opportunity, exposing fans of one group to all of the other groups and creating a link in fans' minds. Xinhua wasn't just a new boy group, they were an SM boy group, and now that meant something concrete. The seeds of K-pop kayfabe start here, and all other agencies would have to scramble to catch up. So the coming decades see Lee Suman pushing his cultural technology agenda onto both fans and idols alike, with <laughs> sometimes those same fans and idols pushing back. And the history of SM Entertainment could fill an entire book and goes well beyond the scope of a single episode of my podcast. So what I'm going to focus on here specifically are the threads that lead us to Supergroup Super M debuting in 2019. So Super M was sold with the explicit tagline, the Avengers of K-pop, and there's a lot to unpack in that statement. So let's start with the Avengers themselves, a rotating hodgepodge gang of superheroes pulled from various Marvel Comics properties. They're the latest, they're the greatest, ultimatest superheroes, the Marvel superheroes The Avengers was created as a response to rival DC Comics' successful Justice League property, which united all of the DC big guns under one title. Batman, Superman, I don't know, superheroes. 
Uh, so when Marvel initially developed the Avengers in 1963, their superhero properties were lagging behind not just sales juggernauts like Archie Comics and Walt Disney Comics, but also behind Marvel's own top sellers like Western comic The Rawhide Kid and girls comic Millie the Model. But three years later, in 1966, Marvel superheroes were ranking into the top 20, with the Avengers itself averaging about a quarter of a million copies sold per issue. So did the Avengers comic itself create the boom in sales? I'm not a comic expert, but I'm going to go ahead and say no. However, I do think that the Avengers probably did play a role in generating interest across various Marvel superhero properties, as well as shoring up the idea of an overarching, superhero-filled, Marvel Universe. And as Marvel has been reborn into the current century as a blockbuster film franchise, the Avengers films fill pretty much the same role as the comic books did, weaving together an extended Marvel Universe and building cross-property interest in fans. So say you're a Thor superfan who could not care less about, I don't know, who's like a, oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this, Captain America? <laughs> Okay, so you watch The Avengers for Thor because you're a super fan, and then hopefully you start to think, hey, I want to find out more about this Captain America guy. Bingo, they have you. And apologies if that analogy didn't make sense. Fill it, plug in your own superheroes. So the genius part is that this cross-property marketing is targeting an audience of people that the company already knows like this stuff. They're primed to become fans. It's a lot easier to turn a fan of one Marvel superhero into the fan of another Marvel superhero than to reach somebody outside superhero fandom altogether. There's no need to explain the concept of superheroes or spell out how everything works. The audience already knows that stuff. And now the next time that this Thor fan goes to the comic book store and or, you know, uh, the movies and there's no new Thor, maybe he chooses whatever the new Marvel thing is instead of buying nothing. And so that is the idea behind the Avengers. And that, as we'll find out, is exactly what happened with Super M. So Super M, as I said, a joint project between Capitol Records in America and SM Entertainment in Korea, was announced at the 2019 Capitol Congress in August 2019 to a decidedly mixed response. The initial lineup would pluck members from four of SM's active boy groups, Shiny, EXO, NCT127, and Wave V. Spanning three generations of K-pop, four countries, and a decent ability in something like seven languages between them, Korean, English, Thai, Cantonese, Mandarin, and Japanese. If we can rewind to those pre-pandemic days and think back to 2019, I think it's pretty clear that Super M and their American focus was probably a response to a few different factors playing out in the global K-pop market. First of all, when Big Bang went on hiatus for members to begin their mandatory military enlistment, it meant that the biggest boy group in K-pop, unquestionably, globally and domestically, even now they're still the biggest, was now out of commission and there was no replacement ready to step in and immediately start filling those 60,000 seed venues around the world. The field was open for a variety of challengers, 
except for Japan where the reliable Toho Shinki reclaimed their spot as the most popular K-pop boy group in the island nation. But every agency was going to try to overtake Big Bang. And the buzz was already coalescing behind one group in particular. Maybe you've heard of them? A little group called 101. <laughs> product of the second season of Produce 101, a competition show that ran on Mnet in which the prize was a spot in a time-limited uh, elite idol group under the Korean entertainment juggernaut CJENM. And I've mentioned these shows in passing on the podcast before, but they are extremely popular. And there's also an audience participation element and viewers can vote to boost their favorite contestants, much like X Factor or American Idol. And the contestants on Produce 101 are not complete unknowns either, but they include trainees from various agencies, as well as some debuted idols whose groups may have dissolved or that they're stuck on hiatus through no fault of their own. So the impact of the China market freeze from 2016 torpedoed the chances of some up-and-coming boy groups like Unique, among others. Some members of those groups ended up on these types of competition shows. Um, in one of my previous episodes, I discussed the group Top Dog. Um, members from that group also ended up on these types of shows. So season two of Produce 101 crushed it in the ratings in 2017. And then 101 went on to dominate domestic and global K-pop while they were active from 2017 through the end of 2018 when their contract was up. They caused hysteria at KCON. Their debut album ranked in as the highest selling debut boy group album ever to that point. And the sales numbers were up in like the million copy zone, ranking in alongside the year's heavy sales hitters, EXO and BTS. And 101's fan engagement was off the charts. I can personally attest to seeing 101's name everywhere I went in Seoul when I was there in both 2018 and 2019. Scribbled wherever you'd expect to see teen girls doodling their crushes' names in pen, prominently featured in idol goods stores, and the group hit global headlines for their fans' insane antics like causing major flight delays so that fans could take pictures of the members. You think I'm joking, I'm not. And then, when 101's contract ended on December 31st, 2018, in theory it would clear the deck for the next boy group to emerge from the next season of Produce 101. Clean and easy. Not letting the group get bigger than the Produce brand. All of this sound familiar? Uh, but that is, you know, the next season of Produce, well, 
That's a story for a different episode. Let's just say 2019, not their year. So in 2018, though, you do you do have 101 crushing it and the global K-pop teen demographic. And 2018 was also a fairly good year for YG domestically in Korea, with Big Bang dropping the hit song Flower Road before they went on hiatus. Winner still surging in popularity after massive 2017 song, Really Really, a 2018 hit every day. Icon having the number one hands down song of the year with Love Scenario. And Winner's Mino exploding into 2019 with the massive hit. And so it's possible things might have turned out differently in 2019 if the company YG hadn't become tangled up in the Burning Sun scandal, which again, another story for a different episode. And then there was Big Hit and their star brand, BTS, who in 2018 were trying to leverage credulous mainstream American media coverage of BTS as the biggest band in K-pop as a launching point to break into the mainstream American pop marketplace. Except they were having only limited success with songs like the emo EDM droner, Fake Love. The group spent the latter half of 2018 into 2019 on a grinding world tour. And then in March 2019, Big Hit debuted a new boy group called TXT Tomorrow X Together, who was swiftly sent on an American tour a few months later. And there seems to have been some attempt to get these new American BTS fans to engage with TXT, but there was limited success. And then soon after that, TXT was put on hiatus. Uh, and then sent off to Japan with a brand new look. So while Big Hit and BTS may have had limited success in cracking the mainstream American pop market, it doesn't mean that they were just spinning their wheels over here across the Pacific. What they accomplished was to add a new side quest to the K-pop kayfabe, America. And you know, not that no other groups had been here before or had never appeared on television before, you know, um, obviously they had. But thanks to the relentless media coverage, fueled in part by an emerging class of English language BTS fan journalists and critics, K-pop fans were introduced to a new round of challenges. So there are the music shows in Korea, there is like the, um, you know, Korean award shows, the K-pop award shows. But now there's the Billboard album chart. There's the Hot 100. Korea, you had Melon, Bugs, Flow, you know, all the genie um but then now there's the western-based streaming platform spotify and a swarm of music award shows and talk shows uh the billboard music awards 
um, The Ellen Show, Saturday Night Live, and the big one, The White Whale, Grammy. All of these industry metrics of, you know, varying degrees of relevance took on new life as BTS and Big Hit, you know, quote, paved the way, unquote, leaving other companies scrambling to catch up. BTS may not have been the first K-pop act to come to America, but I think that they were the first to mythologize success in the American market and make it a part of the K-pop landscape. So, keeping all of that in mind, all of those active boy groups, right? One to one, dominating, crushing it. This time-limited CJNM boy group. YG, just having a year of winning. And then you have BTS and Big Hit, like winning the publicity battle, just opening up this whole new side quest in America. Let's take a look at who SM Entertainment had up on deck as 2017 rolled into 2018. So there was Shiny, who debuted in 2008 and who are considered a second generation K-pop group. And in 2018, they were about a decade into their career with numerous hits in their catalog. They had broad brand name recognition just across like the general public and popularity, not just with that public, but also among the diaspora and K-pop fans worldwide. But their core fandom was older. They were from another generation of fans. And while they, you know, would happily turn out for concerts, buy albums, um, they no longer brought that manic hype and buzz of the younger teen fans of the current generation. They weren't interested in those metrics, right? So complicating matters at that point, Shiny as a group were also deeply in crisis, and you can hear more about that in episode 15. So still, in the early summer of 2018, they released the excellent three-disc Story of Light series, and then all of the members except for the youngest, Taemin, enlisted in the military. So this left the shiny brand, a very valuable one, somewhat in limbo as 2018 ended. Taemin, of course, he was already an established solo act, but his primary market was, and I think still is, Japan. And he had completed a very successful solo haul tour of Japan from September to November 2018 in support of a Japanese solo album. And this was followed by a successful Korean mini album in early 2019 called Want, which is very good. And then another Japanese tour of even bigger venues in the summer of 2019, culminating in a Japanese mini album in August, with strong rumors of a solo Tokyo Dome performance to come in 2020. I'm your eyes, 
Three of the members were enlisted. Chinese Taman was booked and busy, but he was booked and busy in Japan, which exists kind of adjacent to the global K-pop sphere. Meanwhile, EXO, who debuted in 2012, only four years later than Shiny, are considered a third-generation group, and despite being not all that dissimilar in age to the Shiny members, their fandom and careers are built very differently. One thing that I believe really separates the third generation groups from the second generation groups is the emphasis on fandom hits rather than mainstream hits. I think this switch, I mean, it has to have been a response to the shifting landscape of the music industry itself with the formalization and solidification of what was becoming an outward facing English language K-pop subculture. And it's no mistake that the creation of the global focused KCON festivals the incorporation of fan voting into the big music shows, um, all of this coincides with the start of third generation K-pop. And that's not to say, of course, that third generation groups didn't also have crossover hits, but you do start to see that divergence. EXO entered 2018 at the peak of their K-pop subculture popularity, riding high with the classic, and one of my all-time favorites, Coco Pop. Shimmy shimmy coco pop, I think I like it. Kinjangan down down, but good on my god. Ojiron mom, so can they got to look up? It's so kind of put it up, can they get on your back? Oh, you and Bammy, yeah. Oh, Nari and Bammy, yeah. Chummer so don't so bad, oh god, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, man, she's in a chick, and even performing at the closing ceremony of the Winter Olympics in February 2018. They were appointed to be Korean tourism ambassadors in the summer of 2018, and closed out the year with a fantastic tempo 
and Love Shot, the latter of which went viral among K-pop fans thanks in no small part to member Kai's incredible red suit fan As 2019 dawned, with 101 now disbanded, K-pop fans were left with EXO and BTS battling it out for the position of dominant global boy group. But there was just one small problem. EXO members were going to start enlisting in the military in 2019, meaning that just as EXO was hitting their peak, they'd have to step back. Schumann would go on to enlist in early summer of 2019, quickly followed by D.O., who chose to go early. So, and BTS, their competitors, would uh, receive a special deferral from the government, and so they would not have that problem. And then there was the NCT Collective. NCT stands for Neo-Culture Technology, and in theory, could have infinite members, but has somewhere, I believe, around 21 to 23 members, something like that, split into different subunits. So NCT was first introduced in January 2016 as the next level of K-pop boy groups. The idea is that under the NCT umbrella, members can be shuffled around, collaborate, and importantly, rotated in and out without disrupting the brand. So if a member enlists or has a scandal, instead of a valuable property getting put on the shelf, NCT can continue on. And with multiple subunits, NCT can serve multiple markets at the same time. If you've listened to my Idol History series, then you know that SM Entertainment has tried this before. With HOT, with Super Junior, and with XO, and had the concept backfire spectacularly. But try, try again, right? So the first project announced for NCT was a subunit called NCTU. Including some names we'll definitely hear again later. Taeyong, Mark Lee, Ten, Doyoung, and Jaehyun. And they had a debut digital single called The Seventh Sense on April 10th, 2016. <laughs> Subunits debut. The hard edged, cool, soul based NCT 127, and the soft, fluffy NCT Dream. And at the end of 2018, a new Chinese unit called Wavy would debut. So, the NCTs, they work hard through 2016, 2017, 2018. I'm particularly fond of NCTU's 2018 single. 
boss. But there's a lot going on, and the large number of shifting members is overwhelming. And I think the subunits kind of get lost in the shuffle, and their sales numbers and other metrics are pretty stagnant, and at about the same level as groups like Monsta X, ATs, and Stray Kids. Sure, it's good. But it's not good enough for an SM flagship boy group. NCT needed a boost. SM Entertainment desperately needed a boost with stockholders who were beginning to question how the company was being run. And at the same time, SM Entertainment had established and popular brands just sitting on the shelf. Enter Super M, which I contend turned out to be the ultimate NCT subunit. The members were, in age order, Bien Byukhyun from EXO, the eldest and leader of Super M. Baekhyun is known for his vocals, and his warm tenor can croon sexily in your ears, or Ed punch to an up-tempo song with his signature high notes. from Shiny, who is the most senior member of SM as he debuted with Shiny in 2008 when he was only 14 years old. So Taemin has a distinctive, somewhat whispery voice that he has honed over the years into just an amazing tool. And Taemin is known for his excellent danceability, both as part of Shiny and in his very own, very successful solo career. also from EXO, is best known for his fantastic dancing. Although I believe he was originally cast as one of the rappers in EXO, and you know, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong there, um, he's moved away from that and towards a modest vocal role that suits his voice much better. And he ends up doing these like 
great kind of sing-talky lines. And, you know, Kai is also extremely good looking and has been a brand ambassador for labels like Gucci. NCT U and NCT 127 was a longtime SM rookie before becoming NCT 127's leader. He's a charismatic rapper and dancer known, I think, for his interest in writing music, and he releases his own uh, songs on his own SoundCloud. Thai member 10, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, uh, from NCTU in V was another longtime SM rookie and is known for his graceful dancing and his artistic personality. And 10 often posts his drawings to social media. I'm saying, I don't want to come down from your We'll get lost together, let me Chinese member Lucas Wong, aka Lucas, from NCTU in Wavy, is a long, tall, cool drink of water. He is incredibly energetic and charming on stage, you know, channeling a giant puppy dog with his long limbs, big eyes, and gleaming smile. And Lucas is a fine performer, but <laughs> his standout skill is that crucial K-pop role, the visual. And I should probably add that last year, some disgruntled fans revealed that Lucas was not just an idol, but was in fact a fuckboy. And I know, you know, massive shock, handsome young idol sleeps around, but it was a big blow to the squeaky clean image. And Lucas has been on hiatus since then. Although technically, I think he's still part of the NCT universe, at least as far as I know. And I do hope he gets the stage a comeback because his chaotic energy is sorely missed. Let's get this party started. This is my favorite hobby. Oh, yeah. Make you forget your charging. Love you the way you watch me. Watch me, watch me now. If this one was good, talk about us. When that bass go boom. When that bass go boom. When that bass go boom. If this one was good, talk about us. When that bass go boom. When that bass go boom. When that 
then there's the baby of the group, Canadian-born Mark Lee from NCT 127 and NCT Dream. So like Taeyong, Mark is one of NCT's star rappers, although his background is a lot more traditional, and he can also sing and play guitar. And Mark is also very funny, even if sometimes it's unintentional. I'm a child, So, Super M made their big debut in October 2019 with a mini album released on the 4th, followed by a showcase performance held before a sea of excited fans on the 5th, outside the iconic Capitol Records building in Los Angeles, California. The title track, Jopping, spearheaded by London Noise, who are responsible for some of EXO's biggest hits, was a shot of adrenaline to the American K-pop fandom, bringing together not just the disparate SM boy group fiefdoms, but also bringing back more casual K-pop fans who had drifted away in recent years as the tone of global K-pop fandom had changed. The mini album debuted at the top of the Billboard album chart. Side quest complete. I don't even care, what the Japanese call a hook song, and it's a staple of what I'd call the golden era of K-pop. A hook song, just like it says in the box, 
a song featuring a phrase or word that gets repeated over and over and over and over and over again until it hooks its tiny claws in your head and refuses to let go. Classics of the genre include Super Junior's Sorry, Sorry, Sorry. Girls' Generation, G, 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 G. Chinese, ring, ding, dong, ding, ding, dong, ding, 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 ding. And that big bang banger. Bang, bang, bang. Bang, bang, bang. Bang, bang, bang. These are the types of songs that form the core of what traditionally outsiders think of when they think about K-pop. Catchy nonsense words, catchy choreography, something easy to sing along to and mimic. Just turn your brain off and chop, ring ding dong, bang bang bang. And in October 2019, it was a type of song that had been missing from global K-pop for a couple of years. A quality, dumb, swaggering, boy group hype song with a supremely catchy hook and an over-the-top, like, <laughs> ridiculous video. Super M were cool. And I'll let Mark explain the concept. Hello everybody, this is Mark, and you guys are now with me on the set of Dropping here in Dubai. So Dropping first starts off with all of us not together, and we're all scattered across the globe in different areas with different vehicles which kind of define how we all have different colors and we all have different professions different backgrounds and everything with all of our different strengths and with the light that we always have with us from the start we gather together magically and with that light as well we enter a portal where we end up being on our grand and final ultimate destination which is the Colosseum and that's where all of our fans and all of our audiences are so but wow normal global k-pop fans were just like jopping and enjoying the new futuristic ar super m t-shirts i have a tame one and counting down the days until super m concert dates there was a puritanical and extremely online backlash from the professional bts fan industrial complex epitomized by a truly preposterous article in buzzfeed by ellie bates and ikran dahir which scolded super m for allegedly cheating their way to a number one album by using quote bundles unquote among other things this was an attempt to stigmatize for k-pop fans within the k-pop kayfabe the standard at the time american industry practice of giving fans an album with the purchase of a t-shirt or concert ticket you know it's not Look, there are a lot of issues with bundles, but the fact that a laundry list of corrections had to be issued to that article has not killed the accusation of cheating that is still floating around K-pop fan spaces three years later. To clear up any confusion, the Billboard chart is not an objective metric of merit or popularity. It is an advertising tool. A record company may try for a place on it, or they may not. There's a lot of issues with bundling, but you know, there's a lot of reward for getting in that top part of the chart. 
But I'll say this, there's no real difference between a company giving away MP3s with a t-shirt and a company encouraging fans to buy multiple duplicate MP3s. Except that at the end of the day, one fan has a t-shirt to show for the money spent and the other has dozens of duplicate files cluttering up their desktop. You know, you can wear a t-shirt. And while a certain segment of professional fans may have been trying to discredit the group, the overall positive response in the American K-pop market was enough to reverse the slide of SM Entertainment stock, at least until the pandemic came a few months later, and crashed all K-pop entertainment company stock prices for the immediate future. Super M proved that SM Entertainment could compete just as well in the new American K-pop market as they had in the old one. But the more important effect is what came next. While bearing in mind, again, sales numbers, other metrics like this, are not an indicator of mainstream popularity, but they are an indicator of how large and or how engaged a fandom is. So NCT 127's pre-Super M October 2018 album, Regulate, had sold just under 350,000 copies. Post-Super M, March 2020's Neozone sold just over a million. Wavy's Mandarin language debut in May 2019 did not sell enough copies among K-pop fans to make any kind of chart. I don't think it was even offered for sale in many global K-pop retailers. But their second mini-album, Take Over the Moon, released at the end of October 2019, sold over 100,000 copies to global K-pop fans. Baekhyun's first solo album, released in July 2019, sold a very respectable 600,000 copies. His second, released in May 2020, cracked a million. Even Kai, not known for his vocal performance, saw his solo debut album in November 2020 get to over 350,000 copies sold. Taemin was probably the member who gained the least from his association with Super M. He had been popular before and had only a mild boost of sales and streams. But what was unexpected was that when Shiny came back from a two-year hiatus in February 2021 with the glorious don't call me. If you don't call me, check this out, y'all. Don't call me. I don't want you back. Don't call me. Don't call me. I keep saying next time and I'm saying your life. Their sales were basically double what they'd been at at their peak, with over 300,000 albums sold. So Super M not only injected life into SM's boy group fandoms and the soggy global K pop market, but their artistic impact has lingered on long after Super M's indefinite hiatus. Because, because along with giving new fans an entry point into the various NCT groups by giving them a familiar face to latch onto, Super M was also a gentle on-ramp into the dominant NCT sound, the so-called noise music or construction music of flagship unit NCT 127. <laughs> Open the mind too fast. You, you, um, chicken, my blues, clues. Everybody jealous, start a hey, both of them got new blues. We don't mind, think I get myself by. Even if you got G, I'm a nice. Let's get away right now to buy the gay, yeah, yeah. Good on the 
I will admit to being confused when I first heard the label thrown around because as a longtime music dork, my exposure to quote noise music unquote was stuff like Lou Reed's 1975 album Metal Machine Music or the work of Japanese artist Mertzbau. NCT 127, on the other hand, make, like, pop music. But eventually I kind of figured out that what K-pop fans have termed noise music is drawn from a, you know, let's just call it an urban style of hip-hop, epitomized by producers like Atlanta-based Bangladesh and Compton's own Dem Joints. And that, you know, urban beat is then slathered with a thick and satisfying layer of K-pop bubblegum. And I find the combination extremely appealing. Uh, These tracks tend to feel like they're tumbling forwards with the rhythm like just bumped up in the mix. And the verses kind of feel just like really open and, and crisp. And then you'll get hit by like this gloriously schmaltzy, like just belting bridge. And just think of it as the new sound of like the hook song. So as an example, kind of of what I'm talking about, here's Lil Wayne's 2008 track, A Millie, produced by Bangladesh. And here's EXO's 2019 track, Obsession, produced by Dem Joints. So fans needed an on-ramp 
and Super M provided fans with a sound that was a mix of shiny, XO, and that NCT construction noise, which included songs like the noise-adjacent chopping, and the K-pop trend machine has picked it up and run with it. But as for Super M, alas, the pandemic cut short their debut tour, and the group ended up having somewhat of an anticlimactic finish. They released the full album Super One in September 2020 and ended the project with the catchy April 2021 Prudential Insurance commercial song, We Do. And a few weeks later, the oldest member, Baekhyun, would enlist, followed not long after by Taemin. And as for the other members, Kai has been busy with his solo work, um, and Mark and Taeyong with their respective NCT units. Wavy has been... Like, hashtag gets complicated. Um, but Ten has been busy even appearing as a judge on Street Dance of China 4. So, Super M may have only been a time-limited group, but I think their impact on the K-pop market, especially the American K-pop market, lives on. And we'll go out from one of my favorite tracks from NCT 127's latest album, Two Baddies. This is Time Lapse, produced by Dim Joints. So, I hope you enjoyed this guided tour of Super M, and uh, yeah, I will uh, talk to you later. Bye! <laughs> Yeah. 모두 꿈이었다 